All right, we're going to conclude our series that we began four weeks ago entitled Reset. And the idea we have is that our lives sometimes need a reset. Sometimes we just get stuck. Maybe something happens, something goes wrong. Uh, all kind of reasons, but you could probably relate that, that you've kind of been there where you felt like your life was stuck and you just needed something to kind of jumpstart you. We've been using the term reset you. And fortunately, we have a reset button in the Bible. That's what we've been looking at for four weeks. It's our theme scripture, and we're going to look at that scripture in just a second. Let me just refresh your memory of the context of the scripture. A religious leader has come to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, tell us the most important commandment. Their culture was full of following literally hundreds of commandments. God gave them a bunch, but they added a bunch more to it. And it was just undoable. Nobody could even remember all these commandments, much less do them. And so they lived with this cultural tension all the time. Am I living up? Am I doing the right thing? And so this teacher, I, I could see him almost pleading with Jesus, please tell me, what's the most important commandment? And so Jesus gives him a great answer that we've been looking at for a few weeks. Each week we say it out loud together. I'm hoping some of you have memorized it. It's such a great passage. Let's read it out loud together. Ready, go. You are to love God with every passion of your heart. Hang on, out loud means you, you say it out loud with me, okay? Just, just I'm, my bad, not communicating well. Let's try it again. Go. You are to love God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. So we've been saying life's reset button is love, that love is the most important thing. And so for your life to get back on track, it doesn't mean you have to figure it all out and know exactly all the things you need to do now that you've been stuck. It doesn't mean you've got to get your act together or know all the right stuff. It means focusing on the most important thing is what gets you unstuck. Now, in that great answer Jesus gave, he gave us five dynamics about loving. He gave us four about loving God. And then one about loving people. We've uh, defined love like this. We've said that to love is to give with no demand for return. Unconditional love means unconditional giving. I'm giving with no demand for return. I might hope for a return. We're human, but there's no demand attached to that. And we've been saying, yes, love's a noun, but even more importantly, love is a verb. Love should be something we do. It should be an action. So today... We're going to wrap up our series by discussing the last dynamic that Jesus gave in his answer, loving people. Look again at that last sentence that Jesus said. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Now, the religious guy had just asked for one. He said, give me the one commandment. But Jesus felt compelled to give him two because they're inseparable. They go together. They're two sides of one coin. So he said, love God but love people. And not just love people. Did you catch what he said at the end? God wants us to love people like we love ourselves. Love people like I love myself. Now, Jesus was asked this question more than once, okay? And so in a different occasion, when he was asked the question, he gave the same answer. But in the crowd, the, the guy who answer, asked him the question uh, I could see how Jesus' answer may have made him feel a little uncomfortable when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he, he says, so, well, then, who is my neighbor? 
And so Jesus is going to reply to that, but in his reply, he kind of turns that guy's question around to the better question. What he's going to tell him answers this question. What does it look like to be a good neighbor? Okay? So that's where Jesus is going in answering this guy. And we get a great story that Jesus taught known as the Good Samaritan. Let's look at it from Luke chapter 10. There was once a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him for dead. Now, the crowd hearing this immediately has a feeling where this might be going. Because when he said Jerusalem to Jericho, they're like, oh, we know about that road. It was a 22-mile road through the mountains. Jerusalem was higher than Jericho, down to Jericho. 22 miles through cantons and around mountains and lots and lots of places and caves where robbers could hide. And people would get bushwhacked all the time on this road. It happened so much that this road even had a name. They called it the Bloody Way. So immediately, they're with him. They're like, yeah, it's a dangerous road. It's not a shock that somebody got beat up. So let's go on. Soon, a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man. Seeing him from a distance, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. Can you see that? This priest is walking along the road, and he sees this guy up there going, oh, there's trouble. I'm going to switch lanes early. <laughs> you know, like a good driver in a car. You're, oh, I'm going to be careful there. Well, he's wanting to avoid that man. And so early on, he moved over to the other side of the road. Let's read on. Later, a religious man, a Levite, and a Levite means from the tribe of Levi. That was one of 12 tribes that made up Israel, and they had a special responsibility to help with the worship of Israel and stuff. And so he's also a religious guy, right? The Levite came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. So now picture this. You got a guy beaten half to death. I mean, he's bloody. I mean, it's obvious this guy, he could die if he doesn't get help. And two people walk by, but they're just not two any people. They are two of his people. They were his Jewish countrymen, the priest and the Levite. And you need to understand that the Jewish people had this national mentality that we take care of each other. Now, they may not have been great at it, but God had said, you're my people, and I want you to care for each other. And he gave them a bunch of guidelines on how to be good to each other. So they had this national mentality that they should take care of one another. But his two countrymen just walk past him and leave him there bleeding. So the Put yourself in the position of the crowd. They're like, hmm, that, that's not good. Those guys didn't help him out. I mean, he was a fellow Jew, right? Well, Jesus has their thinking start up. Now he's going to shock them. Look what he says next. Finally, another man, a Samaritan, came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. Finally, somebody comes by who's going to give first aid, but it's not just anybody. It's a Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And when Jesus said a Samaritan came by, that crowd would have gone, whoa, hiss, you know, boo, because they hated the Samaritans. And the background for that hatred is that many years before, Israel had been conquered and taken away out of their own country, and some were left, and those who were left didn't keep it together as a nation. They just started marrying people and getting involved in relationships with people with other nations who didn't worship the true God. 
And so when Israel got gathered back, when the nation came back, there was this animosity because those coming back say, I can't believe y'all married into these other races. So they hated them. It, it was almost as bad as how much the, uh, the Germans of Nazi Germany hated the Jews then. Okay? It was bad. And so when he said Samaritan, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. And as if that wasn't enough that he made the Samaritan the good guy, He's now going to go into some more detail just to really push this point home. Look what the Samaritan does. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. So the guy had first aid equipment, right? And he took care of him, and he dressed the wounds very carefully so he wouldn't bleed to death and die. Then he lifts him up on his own donkey. Now he's got to walk, and he gets through the road. They get to Jericho, and they come to a hotel. Now look what he does at the hotel. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet. He didn't ask the guy, you got any money, bro? He takes his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words. I guess if you're naked on the road, you're not going to have any money. Forget that. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have asked him that. He says to the innkeeper, take care of him until I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. So now everybody in the crowd is just like, oh, gosh, <laughs> the Samaritan's a good guy. Uh, this, oh, I don't know. And I'm thinking about that teacher who asked Jesus the question. And hearing this answer, I'm thinking he's like, you know, I wish I'd have just not got out of bed this morning. It would have been a, a better day. Now Jesus has told us this powerful story. But Jesus now goes further. He addresses that scholar directly, and look what he says to him. So now, tell me, which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor? The religious scholar responded, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. Jesus said, you must go and do the same as he. Folks, I believe God wants to say to us, I want you to do the same as he, like this good Samaritan did helping people along the way. So let's make some observations from this passage. First off, guys, God plans opportunities for us to love our neighbor. God's got things planned you don't know right now, but they're just ahead of you, and you're going to get a chance, like these guys in the story got a chance to show love to this man who had been beaten up. Uh, the priest had a chance, then the Levite had a chance, and then finally the foreigner stops and takes care of him. Here's a question. How often have you had a sense, you know, that was an opportunity. I, I could have helped that guy. I just kept going. You ever been there? I, I'm sorry to say I have. Uh, I, I give myself a little bit of an excuse that I, I got to work extra hard to focus, and it's real important that I focus and get my focus on. I, I don't want to be, you know, bothered, but the bottom line is that's, that's part of why we're here. And so the idea I'm trying to convey today is not to make you feel bad for missing opportunities, but to say, hey, this is normal that God brings us opportunities. You've got some more coming. You've probably got an opportunity this coming week to really help somebody, to do something. So God's trying to encourage us. You can be a good neighbor. So what's it look like? Well, we can all be a loving neighbor. We can all do it. It's a choice. And here's the choice. One big important word. Am I willing 
to be inconvenienced? Am I willing to be interrupted? Am I willing to be inconvenienced by the need of somebody else? Boy, we all have schedules. We have things we have to do. We have responsibilities, commitments. But are we willing to ever put my agenda aside to try to help somebody else? Are we ever willing to do that? Again, I'm not trying to beat you up, but just stir your thinking today in a, in a way that hopefully there, there's life in this. Now, look one more time at what Jesus said, his last sentence. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. He could have just said, love your neighbor, but no, he's more specific than that. He says, love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's, that's a big deal. We need a healthy self-love in order to love others well. You need a healthy self-love. Where does that come from? Is it like, well, I'm, I'm great. I'm an I'm okay guy. You know, I'm better in some, so I'll love myself. Is it, is it based on that? I don't think so. I think it's based on this. God loved you so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. That's how valuable you are. That's where you find your self-worth. That's where you say, I am loved, so I should respect myself because God's loved me that much. I've got to love myself in this healthy sort of way. Uh, here, somebody with a healthy self-love, it might look like this, a person, you can receive help. You, you don't feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not worth bothering about. You're, you're willing for people to help you because you know that you're valuable because of God. And so having healthy self-love can help us love others really well. I think it kind of looks like this. I, I'm going along, I'm doing my thing, and uh, somebody here has a need. Well, if I'm really secure that God loved me and he's taking care of me, I can say, you know what, God, you're going to keep taking care of my day. I'm going to take care of this guy. I can be willing to be inconvenienced and interrupted because I'm resting in God's love for me so I can show love to this guy. Now, every week we've taken a character from the Bible to help illustrate our dynamic of love that we're talking about. Today, we're going to look at this neat couple from the New Testament. Here's the backstory: uh, A man named Paul was a leader in the early church, and God was using him to preach about Jesus all over the Mediterranean world. And he would start churches, and then he'd go back and visit them, and then later he'd write them letters. And so Paul was the man. He was all over the place. And we're going to jump into a story where we see this couple being great neighbors. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Now, this is an example of the fact that sometimes God leads us into some serious neighborliness. Serious neighborliness. Paul, they didn't just say, hey, Paul, you know, we'll, we'll be friends. No. He moved in their house. He moved into their lives. He even moved into their business. They didn't know each other. But Paul shows up, and he starts talking about Jesus, and something in them just leaps at that. And so they become friends, and he they invite him in. Well, they took a chance. I mean, there's no guarantee how this is going to work out, right? Well, sometimes being neighborly requires us to take a step of faith. It requires us to risk a little bit. Uh, I know some of you guys have done this. Lori and I have done this where we've had somebody who needed a place to stay for whatever reason. We've had uh, people stay in our home, and 
yeah, it seemed a little uncomfortable at first, and we had a little adjustment period, but very soon it got easy. It, it just was no big deal having somebody in the home, and it became a blessing to have somebody else in the home. Well, that's what Aquila and Priscilla did with Paul, and they embraced him, and they found out they were both tent makers, and so I could see them during the day. They were making tents, and they're talking and having a good time, and then that afternoon, that evening, a crowd comes, and Paul tells them about Jesus. So that goes on for a while. Now, look what happens next. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby Centria. Then he set sail for Assyria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. So he's ministering in this whole area. He's there a good while, probably months, maybe a year. He's there a while, but now he feels like God's saying, okay, I want you to get on a ship and go on across the ocean again to the nation of Syria. I'm going to have you preach Jesus then. And by this time, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were so close that I can just see them. You know, they're, they're making tents and working with their hands. And Paul says, you know, guys, I, I've been praying. I feel like God's telling me to head to Syria. And uh, I'm excited about it. Don't know what's going to happen, but, but I'm going to be getting on a ship soon to do that. And I can just hear him go, would y'all like to come? Would you guys like to join me? And I could see them sitting there going, oh, really? You're inviting us to come join you in this amazing thing God's called you to, to tell people about Jesus and start churches? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're in. And so now they're a team in the ministry together, all right? So this is a good example of the fact that willingness to be a loving neighbor can lead to some healthy adventure. I mean, now this neighborly relationship has become an adventure for, Priscilla and, uh, for Aquila and Priscilla. Now, as the book of Acts goes on, they do some more traveling, and Paul eventually leaves them in a big city named Ephesus, and then he goes on, and over the years, he's going to new cities and planting new churches, and every now and then, though, he'll write a letter to a city, and he'll know that Aquila and Priscilla have moved to that city, and they're serving Jesus there, and so he'll write those, that church a letter, and he'll say, by the way, say hi to Aquila and Priscilla for me. So now they may be a thousand miles apart, but they're still just like this. They're so close. Paul loved these guys so much because they were willing to be a good neighbor. Now, eventually, Priscilla and Aquila become so mature, they end up in the city of Rome, and they have a church in their house. That's who they've become, and I think it's because that time with Paul equipped him to do that. Now, I want to look at a modern-day story today. This is a true story. There's a movie entitled The Blind Side, and it's based on a true story about a good neighbor and a huge difference that just one person can make. Here's the background. There's a, a young man who's a homeless teenager in Memphis, Tennessee in about the year 2000, okay? His name is Michael Orr, and he's walking on this dreary night to get to the school gym so he can sleep outside under an overhang and be out of the rain because he's homeless, now, as he's walking to the gym, he meets an unlikely Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a woman named Leanne Tui, and she is played in this movie by Sandra Bullock. So let's see how they meet up. Step four. Big Mike. Hey, my name's Leanne Tui. My kids go to Wingate. You said you were going to the gym. School gym's closed. Why were you going to the gym? 
Big Mike, why were you going to the gym? Because it's, it's warm. Do you have any place to stay tonight? Don't you dare lie to me. Look, many times she's about to get her way. Come on. Come on. SJ, make room. Get inside. Come on. Love that clip. I love the dad looking at his son saying, I've seen that look before. <laughs> Obviously, Leanne's a pretty strong gal, and he's used to her doing things, but this was remarkable. This was really something, to take a young man off the street to get him out of the bad weather to spend the night at the house. Well, as the story goes on, it develops into a lot more than just a little bit of love. This next clip is going to show you just how far the Tui family goes in showing Michael this neighborly love we're talking about. Okay, Tui family, big smiles, everyone. And a one, two, three. Michael, Michael, come on down here and get in the next one. Come on. Come on. Come on down. Oh, come on. It's not like I'm going to put it on the Christmas card. Okay, let's, let's scooch in. A little tighter. That's good. Really big smile. Okay, one, two, three. Say rebel. Rebel. Yeah, she did put it on the Christmas card. Eventually, they actually adopted this young man. They adopted him because they loved him and they wanted to love him the way Jesus loves us. Now, let me give you a little more story here. The title, Blindside, is a football reference, okay? So if I'm the quarterback on a football team, i got my line of blockers here, and this guy over here is the left tackle, and he's the most important guy on the line because when I drop back to pass, I'm looking like this, and I can't see back here. That's called my blind side. So that guy is the most important blocker on the line. Well, this young man, they called him Big Mike, he became a great football player. He got multiple offers for scholarships in colleges and ended up going to uh, Mississippi. Uh, the photographer said, say, go Rebels. They were Mississippi Rebels. That was their alumni, uh, the mascot of the team, of the school. And so he goes there, and he is so successful there, he becomes an All-American, and he gets drafted in the first round of the NFL. And so on that great day, you know, you may have seen it on TV where these great athletes are waiting to hear where they get drafted, you know, and their families are all with them to celebrate. On that day, this family, the Tuies, were with them. It's cool. They showed the real footage of that at the end of the movie, the actual family with Michael Ory. I wonder how many Michaels are out there. I wonder how many Michaels are in Bay City. I wonder how many Michaels have just needed somebody to show them a little love if they'd be willing to stop and just take a moment. I think there's a bunch. I really do. I want to end today with a couple questions and a prayer. Here's question number one. 
Who is the neighbor, the person in my life that God wants me to love? Who is it in my life that I could be a good neighbor to? I want to pause. I'm going to pray a one-sentence prayer. You don't need to bow your heads or nothing. I'm just going to say one thing to God, and then we're going to listen for just a moment. God, who is it? God, who is the neighbor in my life that you want to use me to reach out to? So I want you to think about that. I think with some of you, somebody's coming to mind. God might be reminding you of somebody you know is in need. Oh, yeah. Or he might just bring somebody's face or name to mind, and you're like, okay, uh, maybe this week I can serve them. Okay. Number two, what can I do for this neighbor? What can I do for this neighbor? Again, one sentence prayer. Lord, show me what I can do to help a neighbor this week, to help somebody. Think about it a second. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, if Jesus is your Lord, he's the one you're living for, he's your boss and best friend, if you're trying to follow Jesus, you're trying to be a Christ follower, well, here's the cool thing. God has come to live in you. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. And you may not always feel like it, but you care about people. You love people. And sometimes that just needs to come out more, right? And so this one-sentence prayer I'm giving you is, is talking about that, asking God to enlarge my heart to become a more loving neighbor. More of you, Jesus, coming out of me. Lord, please enlarge my heart to be a loving neighbor. As I mentioned earlier, when uh, Lori and I had somebody live with us for not real long, for a couple months, uh, it impacted us. There was just something cool about there's, there's our friend and she's got a place to sleep at our house. And it impacted us. And friends and family who heard, heard about it said, well, that's cool. And, and you could just see them like, yeah, that's what we ought to be doing. Well, well, I think that's what could happen just on a huge scale as we're being neighborly in the way God wants us to. It can impact so, so many, many people. And I think it would be an awesome thing. Our community could be turned upside down if we start stopping for the micros along the way in life. We're about to pray. Before we do, let me remind you of a couple things and ask you a big favor. Don't let me forget the big favor, okay? I'll, I'll save that. Actually, no, I'm not going to risk forgetting. Here we go. Tonight at 6.30, we're right over there in the cafe, and the big favor I need is, could some of you folks, I usually think men, but there's plenty of women stronger than I am. Anyway, some of you guys who could help us, we want to take chairs from this section right out that door, okay? So when we say amen and we're dismissed, if some of you could help us get chairs out that door, there'll be people there directing, and we're setting up for tonight. It's looking like we can all fit in there. If 50 more of you sign up this afternoon, then we'll move it back in here. But help us out getting ready for tonight at 6.30. We always have prayer teams here at the end of the service. They'd love to pray with you about any need at all. And finally, remember to give. Boxes near the doors, online, or through the church app. Y'all stand. I want to end a little differently today. Rather than just I pray, I want us all to pray. And I want us to pray our one sentence prayer. And I'd like us to pray it out loud three times. Ready? Go. Lord, please enlarge my heart to be a loving neighbor. Lord, please enlarge my heart to be a loving neighbor. One more time. Lord, please enlarge my heart to be a loving neighbor. God bless you guys. 
Hope to see a whole lot of you here tonight at 6.30, and if y'all can help us with chairs, that'd be great.